You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. So I quit the band in 2013. Within about a, less than a year, I moved to LA, kind of give it a fresh start. And, you know, that I was 34 years old moving to LA, like, yeah, you know, that, and, and I know in some respects that seems young to some people, but I felt for no, if I metal, think for yeah, like for thirty four to be like I want to give a fresh start, that takes balls. That's that's hard. I know yeah, I I'm can gonna imagine. go to LA and grow up to be a big girl. Yeah. No, it was and I didn't really have much of a plan. It was just like, let me just see what I can do and see what opportunities and I just didn't have anything holding me in New Jersey. And I think sometimes the gravity of a place, right? Like your hometown or home area, it 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 was like the same of like if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and you're listening to 2020, which is probably redundant by now, but if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Subscribe. Hello. Corey, this is where you take it. <laughs> quite, quite, the, quite the handoff there. <laughs> um, it's more like the drop. So It really was a drop. <laughs> this, uh, this, this week's episode is very cool because we're talking to Doc Coyle from the band Bad Wolves and the host of the X-Man podcast. So you get to hear an actual like experienced podcast. So we're just going to kind of milk that for all it's worth. And it might actually be somewhat entertaining and informative for once. Yeah. No, he's so well-spoken that he just made it easy, honestly. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to the DIY man himself, the X-Man himself, the one, the only Doc Coyle part one. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza. I'm here as always with my cohorts in crime, Siobhan Cronin. Hey. And Benny Goodman. Hello there, Corey. How are you doing this week? Doing very, very well. Fantastic. We have a very special guest this week, a, a fellow member of the Sound Talent Media family, uh, host of the X-Man podcast from the band Bad Wolves, formerly of God Forbid, musician, writer, podcaster, does it all, Doc Coyle. How you doing, man? doing all right thank you for having me thanks for joining us how has your year been well which year 2021 or is there a difference this big clusterfuck that is the last whatever how's your millennium been yeah yeah, well the funny thing is 2021 almost feels as long as 2020 was so so much has happened uh go on (laughs) whether whether we're talking about uh business-wise interpersonal uh political social yeah but i listen a lot has happened but i don't know i always feel like the challenging times are like the most interesting times it's when you grow the most it's when you learn the most it's when you find out what you're made of well i mean if you get to stay home and you ha- you can grow way more weed that way i mean I, <laughs> I i can like water them when i need it if there's mites that show up it's they're fucking dead as i see them if i have Where to go work it's fucking hard <laughs> where do you uh, live I'm in Boston. We have to do it inside. You can grow weed in Boston? You can. In winter? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you can create the perfect climate, I guess, with enough fixings. I don't know. Like a closet. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) You can do anything if you put your mind to it. But um, I guess just just in general, uh, you know, not not political, not not overly worldly, but for you personally, how how has the past 12 months or so been? Well, I mean, I've I've kind of got the the kind of pandemic, 
you know, sweet. I got, I got everything. I got, you know, I had a uh, mother passed away. I caught oh, COVID. Oh. I, um, I had back surgery, you know, the, uh, I mean, it just everything that kind of could have happened did, did happen. Um, but throughout everything, believe it or not, I always felt lucky because, uh, you know, just with what the band was doing and me being able to kind of work in other fields, you know, financially it's been okay. And I've been very busy, which I think is in, in trying to get pr productive and be involved in things. Um, so I think like that stress or like whatever craziness has been going on with this thing has been evenly distributed. You know, actually, I'll, actually, let me re reassess that. In a sense, it hasn't been evenly distributed. It's been hit certain groups of people way harder than others. Sure. And even with all that, and I could say I've gotten the whole experience, I th I can imagine other people's had it so much worse, whether it's being out of work or maybe their family being decimated by the disease or whatever, man. It's just, it's, uh, it's, there, there's so much. So I always try from a personal level, have the gratitude of like, all right, how can we make the best of this? How can we take this time off the road to create other things? Or how can we take this time to create a better relationship with our fans or whatever, just kind of make the, the, the lemonade out of the lemons and not get too hung up on what's not working and just see how you can, you know, just make the best of yeah. it. In terms of the band, how has that transition or the pivot been? I mean, we started a Patreon at the, right at the beginning of the pandemic and it, it's worked really well. It's been really successful. And it kind of just reconfigured how I, what I thought the job of being in a band was. Right. And in a really good way, because I think you constantly have to be updating that idea of things. And back in the day when I was with God forbid, I, I just thought, well, you make records and you go on tour. And that's <laughs> what being in a band is. And now it's. I thought I was doing blow in the eighties. That's what everybody seems to be saying yeah. from Shannon. Yeah. It seems a lot has. I was like eight. eight. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's why I feel like I've missed it all. Like, are we? Are, is it all over? Because I feel like all the stuff in the background too. Like we, dude, the crow was the first rated R movie I ever saw, and mm -hmm. I was like seven. Yeah, you know, they were doing so, heroin in that movie. That's they were keeping it real. That was dude. Very that 90s. movie was the real deal. Like you know, we snuck in with some like older guys. Like oh, that's fine. We're like. You know, ten year old. What is it? Ninety four or something. I was probably like eleven. Oh my god! Wait, and we, I just remember you seeing were there going this into is... a movie with an older guy. Is that... No, I'm just saying. Like <laughs> back in the day, they would they would stop you so you could ha like go in with a uh, random person and be like, "Hey, man, I'm like four. Can I go see that like rated R film?" And then it's like some weirdo would be like smoking a Pall Mall and be like, "Sure, dude." And you go see The Crow and see a bunch of boobs and heroin use. I missed out on that in my childhood. <laughs> I don't think there are boobs in The Crow, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there's like one scene and then and then there's obviously a bunch of fucking craziness um but that movie's insane actually in fact i was wearing this to be inspiring for you because i'm i'm wondering when like the doc uh doc decides that he wants to be the band so you don't have to be the x-man you're the, unless you like <laughs> kick yourself out you know what i mean but like nine inch nails that soundtrack to the crow also was like my childhood it's funny you bring that up because i just recorded a song, a cover song where I, I like, I basically did everything except the bass guitar. Like I sang on it and then did everything. Why would you like, lower yourself oh, nice. to that level? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, but it's pun intended, but it, it's a thing. Like you don't really 
do certain things that you're like, oh, oh I don't, you, you kind of put your own, these restrictions on yourself about what you think you can do. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe I could do something like, like that. It was a nice uh, kind of crossing the Rubicon in a good way, you know? So you never know, you never know. But I, I, I even have a name for the Doc Coral solo project, but I'm not going to give it away right now. Oh, oh, you're yeah. not gonna draw. You're gonna like tease us with it. No, because then someone might. I don't have it trademarked. Maybe someone will steal it between now and the time I put it up. Yeah, Spoken we, like we, a true we learned that. Person. That's the smartest <laughs> response ever. It's not like fuck you. I have my own show. I can drop it there. It's like, dude, trademarks. Yeah. Checkmate. Queen's yeah. Gambit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, before we get too carried away in the deep end, Doc, maybe for some of the people that don't know about you, as you know, we have listeners, I'm sure, from all different backgrounds, different style of music tastes. Can my you mom. maybe give us, yeah, me? I mean, I come from a completely different world, even though I play in a rock band, you know? So I, a lot of the guests we have, I'm learning about them for the first time. Um, maybe you could give us, kind of take us back, give us an introduction to how you got into music, where you grew up, you know, how you ended up in Bad Wolves, kind of some of the different projects you went through along the way. Well, it's, I guess I could make a, a long story short, but you know, I got my start with a band called God Forbid in New Jersey. It was with my brother. I mean, you know, we were in high school when we started. We weren't called God Forbid, or maybe by the by the time I graduated, we, we might've been God Forbid. But, uh, you know, I did that band. We got signed to Century Media Records in 2000, the in the year 2000. And yeah, 2000. put out four records on century media records one record on victory records toured you know basically for the entire that entire decade ozfest mayhem every Dude, yeah, we toured festival ever every I saw band. You a million times man you know and the band had some decent success you know especially considering our very humble beginnings we came out of the hardcore scene very diy very you know close to the ground uh so and never had really great aspirations until things started happening. I was like, oh, you can do this. So you all of a sudden were on tour with Slipknot and you're like, wait a second, this is the apex of of what you can even do. And it was kind of crazy to just be close to while never thinking you could even make a living that you could actually be on that course to be a, you know, a, a really successful man. But the, the band kind of peaked, and, you know, we made mistakes all, along the way and, you know, I just learned a lot and and eventually I kind of saw that the band wasn't, you know, going to do it for me and it wasn't working for me at a certain point. So I quit the band in 2013. Uh, but then about a, less than a year, I moved to L.A., kind of give it a fresh start. And, you know, that I was 34 years old moving to L.A. like, yeah, you know that. And, and I know in some respects that seems young to some people, but I felt for no, if I think for, yeah, like for 34 to be like, I'm going to give a fresh start. That takes balls. That's, that's hard. No, yeah. I'm going to go to LA and grow up to be a big girl. Yeah. No, it was, and I didn't really have much of a plan. It was just like, let me just see what I can do and see what opportunities. And I just didn't have anything holding me in New Jersey. And I think sometimes the gravity of a place, right? Like your hometown or home area, it, it, it was like the same. Like, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. I'll just be stuck man just the things kind of hold you to place so it was just like let me just try something bold and uh and it was really tough i was broke as hell struggling you know my car broke down uh driving across country i had to abandon my car in denver holy shit oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and yeah. i i was like a year kind of like car before you it? even got there so your car's already yeah. broken down before you arrived Jetta. okay okay the, the transmission thing so it's i had all this bad luck uh but i just 
put my nose to the grindstone. I never got a day job outside of like bartending on weekends and stuff. And I just went and started playing with any band I could play with. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up touring with this band, Maytals, like a, a female Israeli drummer was like huge on, on YouTube, like with her original band, you know, with Queensryche. And then, you know, that took like a year and a half even being there. And then right after that gig kind of went by the wayside, John asked me to, you know, the guitar player who was in Bad Wolves before it was called Bad Wolves, uh, basically said he didn't really want to tour with the band that he would just kind of like be behind the scenes, but he, but they need another guitar player. John was trying to get me to join the band since I first moved to LA. Uh, Cause he had just quit devil driver and was writing all this music. But at the time it was like, I was not really into playing super heavy metal. I had another band called Vegas nerve, a little more like progressive rock band. And I was just, I just came out of metal band. I kind of went to explore the things, but so your mom was just like, I want to go to these shows with this band. So can you stop being so angry? <laughs> Well, I don't want FSU kicking my mom's ass, bro. Just to see. <laughs> Listen, my mother went to slip, not, went to Ozfest and lo- was loving some. Slip no, I'm messing yeah. with you, but I'm just <laughs> nice. saying that, like, I feel like I've gone from heavier bands where my mom was like, "I feel ill," to like, "This sounds very melodic." And I've listened to like, some. I mean, you see, God forbid, God forbid, was a v- fucking heavy band. Like you guys came out and you just punched people in the balls. But like, if you're not into metal, it's not the kind of song that. Like, Hey, Siobhan, put on God forbid when you wake up in the morning and do yoga. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? Whereas like some of the other stuff you did afterwards was, you're right, a lot more. Um, I, I loved the more melodic elements to what you did. And you've become a songwriter for people as well, too, haven't you? Yeah, I've written uh, I wrote a song for Body Counts. Not last album, but the previous record. I wrote stuff for Jamie Josta for his solo band. I just, I just wrote a track for... Uh, uh, Lejean Witherspoon from Seven Dust Seven for his Dust. solo solo album. Uh, I get more requests than I can help out with because I've been so wrapped up with all the bullshit I'm dealing with. So I, I wish I could write more. But but no, it honestly was just, I feel sometimes you get trapped by a sound. And we, with God forbid, we were at the forefront of cultivating a style. Like we were one of the band, the uh, trailblazers of that sound. And we felt the sound, the metal core, new wave, American heavy metal sound, you want to call it, was getting stale. So we were constantly trying to like do different things. And it, kind of by the end, I felt like it was looking deep within, like, I don't know if we can take it anywhere else, at least at the time, who knows, you know, down the line. But I, I just felt like the metal world was, it was very hard to innovate within that. So I wanted to try different things. I felt there was more space to try the try other things um but anyway so i ended up just jamming with uh john and you know joining up with it was it was under a different name kyle our, our bass player wasn't in the band yet and our guitar player chris was touring as a tech so it took like five six months for us to kind of all get together and uh you know finish the record and you know and then things just kind of happened you know it was like one thing after the week we ended up doing a video for a song called learn to live and it kind of exploded. The funny thing is we shot the record around a few labels and got turned down. Then the video came out <laughs> and every label wanted to sign us like almost immediately. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then, but right around that time, Tommy was filling in for five finger death punch and that, or, or he was, he was kind of on the, the cusp of filling in for them. And that relationship with Zoltan ended up helping 
the band secure the record deal with Better Noise at, at the time was called 117 Records mm-hmm. and also the management company. And he also ended up co-managing the band that kind of ushered everything. And then the whole zombie kind of thing happened. And then it was like, after that, it was over, you know, it was just like, just boom. real, real quick. You said you went out to LA and you know, you didn't have a real, really a plan other than you wanted to continue doing music. Did the connections you made and God forbid kind of help you grab some of those uh, earlier gigs and, and that network that you were building or, or did you have to start from scratch when you get out there? No. Well, actually I'll say this. So, you know, I was I lived in New Jersey my whole life. And then I was doing, I was doing a lot of stuff in New York, working in New York. And what's crazy was in LA, my reputation like seemed to just matter so much mm-hmm. more in LA. So no, I wasn't starting at ground zero. Like I got, I felt like I came to LA and people have respected me immediately. Nice. A lot of doors oh, wow. were open. I had a lot of friends it's out funny here. You say that. And- I, just pause on that idea. Cause that's super important because you know, being from the East coast, when you're big in Boston, like people are like, ah, fuck you. Who fucking cares guy? Like yeah. you're the, you know, you're the tallest midget. Like when you're in town, but when you go to LA, everybody is imported. So they're like, Oh, you're yeah. the guy from Boston. You're the guy from Jersey. And yeah. it's like the fact that you did already establish yourself. It's kind of crazy because it's like, that's one of the things I I've, have felt is like vapid about LA, but also advantageous in a situation where it's like, oh, you're the Boston guy. They don't know. Like you, you could be no better than the dude that's working next to you at the, at the rainbow. But at the same time, but because they know that it's, it's strange out there how they sort of accept like, oh, they're from somewhere else. And you're able to curtail that into something, you know, for your advantage to, to build yourself a name faster than someone just going out there with nothing. Yeah. And I, well, I also really hit the ground running in terms of networking. Like I was just out every night and I had done lots of fill in work. So I filled in for Lamb of God in 2009. I filled in for Unearth about a year before I moved to LA. I, you know, I did a gig for uh, Trivium. I did, you know, I did all kinds of stuff. I had my, this cover band I was doing. And so I was just constantly working. And sometimes sounds tiring, man. Yeah. But if you're in a band that made a name and then that band breaks up, there's a lot of people who kind of want to write you off as like, Oh, you were this thing Mm -hmm. and you're this other thing. And I, but I never let that get to me. Like I never was like, Oh, just cause that person doesn't believe I can do blank. I just didn't think that way. I always felt like, well, I'm here. I'm now like that was then this is now. So it's all about, and I don't care. I was never like too good to like do any gig or play any venue. Like I was like, to me being a musician is just, very blue collar thing you know it's like we play that's what we do and so i started doing this like uh this thing called ultimate jam night out in la and it was like all these like super pro musicians and it was kind of like especially when it first started just to get to play on it was kind of a notch on your belt that you were uh, you know you had some some gravitas so that was a, a way to kind of you know uh just settle settle myself and get to know a lot of people and get kind of more respect professional respect just within the local community and that was That's very unique was, it was very unique to los angeles there was no nothing like that um and i just had i don't know i just i just had a very like workmanlike idea about it and i also was doing other things i was i ended up getting the gig writing for vh1 around that time um which i really loved and i was writing for another what website called creator what was that? Writing like actually like um yeah, articles? I was yeah, so I was the yeah. modern metal columnist for VH1 for a year um until they ended up kind of out phasing out that uh the kind of whole hard rock part Music. of VH1. <laughs> At what point did you 
you know, get into actually writing uh, and, and journalism in that in that sense? Well, I definitely don't consider myself a journalist. I consider myself to be like a, an, like a, someone who writes opinion editorials, okay. essay, mm-hmm. essayist. Um, but uh, I started around 2009, 2010 doing opinion pieces for Metal Sucks, just about the culture of metal and like, you know, like, oh, here's... Europe, European versus American metal. What's the deal? Yeah. What's up with image in metal? Like all these different just things. And and I, the thing that was great about that stuff was it. Uh, you have a comment section, so you get like an immediate mm-hmm. like uh, feedback about whether people liked what you were doing. And so I started doing that, and just people just reach out to me. Man, you're a great writer. You should like, you could maybe do this professionally. Like what? Okay, so it's kind of just became a thing. So then I started my own blog. And writing on my own and i started writing about things besides just music i started writing about race and politics and culture mm-hmm. relationships um and just and really i was really anyone you know, when i got the vh1 gig i really loved i love writing like i really because to me writing is just a way of uh distilling concentrated thinking and thought um in a way that's cohesive and like organized so it it really makes just the act the physical act of writing I think makes you more intelligent because you have to kind of back up what you're saying and create really solid arguments, um, and so I really enjoyed that process. But unfortunately, I think writing from a professional standpoint has taken a backseat to video content, podcasting, things like that. So the so in, in a lot of ways the Things Way that easier, would be- man. You just yell at your camera. You don't have to know <laughs> what an ellipsis is. Once you've said it, it's already syntax. there. Yeah. You yeah. can't go Nobody back Nobody even understands syntax. There, 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 your, 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 it's, it's, it's. Like, if you say the word pejorative, they don't want to know. They don't know what it fucking means, man. They just talk at the camera and tell you they're cancel culture. <laughs> I am cancel culture. All right, yeah. watch out. <laughs> got my eye on you all you all three of you right yeah. well, fuck up it's alone all right don't don't cancel us the the seven people that watch us will be really disappointed right right yeah we just got yeah. on to your network sound talent media man come on like put in a good word will you well, i will well so let me ask you your so your first writing gig that you mentioned at metal sucks how did you did you have any prior writing experience or did you just say hey i'd like to write and you submitted stuff what happened was my brother started doing these articles that were really like clickbaity and over the top and kind of in my in like uh hyperbolic and just uh I know nothing about so, that. Sounds like one yeah. of our co-hosts. Yeah. <laughs> it was no, but it was personally embarrassing to me. So okay. I to them too. So, sounds like one of our co-hosts. It sounds like yeah. what yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, I feel like I need to put out something to to give a broader, you know, new you know, something had more nuance and was more thoughtful to like, because I felt like it was making the band look bad. And you know, so like the Venn diagram to your brother, and there's like yeah. an in between that is the band. Well, the thing is, my brother ended up quitting the band within like a year of all that happening anyway. So it kind of at that point was kind of irrelevant. But writing it, uh, breaks up bands, dude. <laughs> no, I was other things. But um, Metal Sucks would often have guest columnists from bands for all kinds of reasons. Like I ended up doing a, an NBA uh, column with them uh, because they would have like Dave Brocky from Guar would do like a football one and some guy from other band would do like a baseball one. But so they would have people coming all the time for them. They needed content. So they were just right. sure. We'll take an article from anyone that's in, in a known band. And, but also for me, 
it would then I have an, a platform, an audience to to speak to. So it really works. You know, it, it worked for everyone in, in, in involved. And so I was able to just develop my writing chops. And it wasn't it's like anything with me. I, I just feel like a lot of people, whether it's music or writing or, or whatever, they're just like, OK, when can I make money? When can I get paid? When can someone pay me? It's like, don't worry about that. Just do the thing, work at it. Even with podcasting, I always felt like the big reason why I got into it was to develop broadcasting chops, learn how to interview, learn how to do monologues, learn how to read ads, learn how to uh, set up if I'm playing a song, just in case, just to develop new skill sets so that, you know, I feel like if you're just trying to make money or make a living off music it's that's just a tough bargain because there's only a handful of artists that are at that level and even those artists have other businesses or other side hustles so you have to kind of inoculate yourself from just struggling and then i also think there's a tough thing where if you're trying to make money just off your band you might make decisions for your band that compromise what you want to do because just because you're trying to make money so so I was always just trying to be a jack of all trades and develop other skills and use a platform like Metal Sucks to get the word out there and speak my mind, have people get to know me. But I'm also developing my skills as a writer. You know, it's not just about money. It's about expression and do something for the sake of just doing it. Yeah. You said something interesting about when you moved to L.A. that you didn't get a day job. And this is something that we've heard a few times talking to other people about, you know, kind of keeping that vision on what you want your ultimate end goal to be. So I'm curious, when you first started getting into music, did you was it your initial goal to make a living out of it or for that to be your thing? Because it seems like you've maintained that that willingness to be patient throughout, you know, and not compromise, like you said, and get diluted into other things in order to kind of really pursue that in a real way. No, when I started doing, you know, when I started the band and we were, well, not that we started the band, I did not even think that it was a job that people could do. Like, it was not even in my mind. <laughs> I, and yeah. I was just, when I was young, I don't know how you guys were, but I was just, I, I could never imagine what it was like to be an adult. So I could never, <laughs> I really couldn't. So I never thought, I was like, oh, I would just see people who, you know, when I was young, I would see people go work. I was like, that sounds, that looks awful. Like, so I have to go somewhere <laughs> and work, you know, cause you, you do like one day of work on the weekend and you're like, so people do this every day. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I just never really had a plan. I ended up going to college for one semester. Cause I just, it was just like, that's what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's for you sure. Know, but it was never like, I'm going to go to college and learn this thing and I'll be working here. So it was just, just the doing the band felt good and felt right. So I ended up quitting college after one semester because it was just like, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to be here. All the whole time I was at college, all I wanted to do was play with the band. Yeah. So I just went, went back home and then worked like shitty uh, you know, landscaping jobs and temp jobs and offices and ended up working at Kinko's. And I was like the first like kind of okay jobs. Like, okay, this is like not horrible. Collating paper. Yeah, dude, I was collating like a mug. And then, uh, and then, uh, but it was just all about, but just, we just, all we wanted to do was make music and play. Cause that was 
fun and that was cool. So it was the only goal was just like, well, can we work, get to a place where we can just make music? And, and that was just, but it wasn't a thought of like, it, it almost felt like a dream. It didn't feel like a real thing. So it was just a very, so with God forbid, all we did was set really small goals. It was like, let's make a demo. So we made a demo. All right, let's play some shows outside of, you know, outside of New Jersey. So you do that. All right, let's make an album. Then you make an album. Let's go on tour. So we hit these really small, and it wasn't until we'd gotten a record deal and went on tour and got to actually tour with bands who actually made a living and were successful that we were like, oh, you can't, there is a pathway to do this. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was never like some grand plan. Sure. Yeah. You know, but I've, I've, <laughs> the way I kind of view that has evolved, but I'm, I've never been like, all right. I'm going to do blank. I just would have like ideas. Like I'd like to do these things. And then you just, I think you create those opportunities by just doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, it's like people will say, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. But what are you doing? Are you doing it? Right. Well, I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of people get caught up in like a really, really grand plan and can't figure out all the steps that lead up to that. And sometimes, yeah, just doing it and starting is, is faster than getting stuck in the minutia of like, how do I get to this lofty goal? that seems unachievable. And then you just stall and don't do anything. Yeah. And then my, my general goal actually wasn't like, I want to do that thing. It just became, I want the reason why I didn't get a day job because I realized I was like, in order for me to do all these things, I need my time. So I was like, I need to work just enough to make enough money to get by. But I made like, so it was rough. It was brutal. But I was like, but my time is too valuable. Then if I spend all my days working a job, then I can't do all the things I want to do. But my goal was just to be able to do the things I want to do. It's like, I know people say, well, you do the job you want. You never work a day in your life. It's still work, but it just feels yeah. different. When you're doing things you want to do, It it's like you'll work all day and all night because it's like, it's your passion. It's like, this is what I'm, I want it to be great. So I'll, I'll put so much time and effort into it. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel the same as like you're on some work site, you know, but, uh, but I just felt like having your time is more valuable. But a lot of people, they want a nice apartment, they want a nice car. So they'll trade, they don't realize they're trading their time for stuff or they're trading their time for a lifestyle, right? Yeah. Whether that's going to nice dinners or going on vacations or whatever. And I was just willing to, I don't care about any of that. I just want, I'd rather have my days to write and play music than go to a nice dinner or have a nice car or something at that at that time. Where do you think you got that perspective? Because I think a lot of people eventually figure that out, but it often happens really late, you know, like they'll have a midlife crisis and it's like, oh my gosh, I've, I've created this life and it's not what I want. And it seems like you really got on that path early. So was there an I, experience? Well, or- I mean, in a sense, it was a midlife crisis. I mean, if I'm 33, 34 and people only, you know, black men only live to be like 62, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, oh, uh, I you just donned that, that tone into your voice. That's right. That's just <laughs> true. It's just, it's just real facts. But, uh, but no, I mean, I basically had this thing around 30 where I was like, oh shit, I'm 30 years old and I ain't got no money and I'm I'm broke and I was homeless for a little bit. And I was like, and I, and I did all this stuff, but I didn't really have a lot to show for it. And at mm-hmm. the same time, living in New Jersey, it's like all your friends that around your same age were like, you know, having good jobs and buying houses and, and being married and getting kids. And I was like, and I felt inadequate for a certain amount of time. 
And then I kind of realized I'm like, oh, the only reason I feel inadequate is because I'm comparing myself to other people. And I'm saying, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I and I eventually just got out and I, and I started hanging out in New York with people who were around my age or older who were just kind of living different lifestyles. And we're like, and, and I realized I was like, oh, okay, that's all like social pressure that people put on, you put on yourself. And once you kind of get rid of that, and then and in LA, it's even crazier because people come here and it's, it's like, they're not, no one's worried about having kids or no one's worried. Like, they're, it's, yeah, it's I moved to Miami around the same time. And yeah, and it's a huge difference from the Midwest. Yeah, it's like and, different wavelength. And, and then you realize like, oh, okay, I can set my own standards. And so you realize like, because I would have a lot of these friends where they all get tend to get married and buy houses around a certain time. And then if you wait like five years, that's when they all start getting divorced. <laughs> So what I've, then, extrapolate, on, what I've extrapolated from you is that it, to me, it sounds like prioritizing what's important to you and finding the quality in life versus necessarily following the linear path has become more important for you and has led you to your success. Because I agree, like one of the hardest things I tell people, you know, when you're trying to learn an instrument or, or even master anything is believing you can be good at it. So like you explaining how like, you know, your band and a lot of people have this like weird view that bands um, just because you're on tour, just because they see you open for Slipknot or whatever, you must be rich. You must be famous. You must <laughs> yeah. be. And it's like they don't realize you're fucking eating shit. You're literally fucking taking showers at a fucking venue, and that like everything sucks. And then they're you're doing if you're this lucky. because if you got a shower. You're kind of lucky, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. And oh it's, yeah. It, it's pretty awesome to hear though you talking about the quality of life and knowing that music is important and then manifesting it. Cause that's what it really sounds like to me is that you're putting your energy out there and you're seeing the fact that yes, there's a lot of uh, linear paths. You, you mentioned it, go to school, get out of school, uh, find the girl or, or, you know, make the family and get that job with the degree that you have. And then in five years, you'll be divorced with lots of money you're paying to somebody else. And yeah, well, I just think people, they think this path is what's going to make them happy. But they don't really know until they do it. And they're like, I'm not happy. And then you kind of realize, okay, well, they don't really have it all figured out. They just followed a path that was normalized because their culture said, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. Um, and at the end of the day, we can't, I can't tell you what makes you happy or any anybody, only you can know. And, and when you set your guitars. own path, guitars, <laughs> there you go, I can see they that. They make me happy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, and I'm, I'm a nonconformist at, at heart, but then when you kind of realize like, oh, I didn't do all those things and I'm kind of glad I didn't because they would have become anchors, right? And it made me think like, people talk about this word freedom all the time. They're like, freedom, man. Man, freedom ain't free. I'm talking about freedom. Like, what, how do you actually, if you're so free, how do you actually express that freedom? And to me, real freedom is having the freedom to like, pick up and go that's freedom you know what if you have a cat is, I, you know what i'm saying freedom is today you get up you say what do i want to do today whatever i feel like doing that's freedom people think freedom is like having a gun like <laughs> okay you got a gun how free are you really i mean what does that what does that really mean well i mean but yeah. if you think about it in in cartesian thought like are you really free isn't everything predetermined Aren't you really just following a path like in Donnie Darko when he sees the things coming out of his stomach and he's just following everything because it's all predetermined. So really, unless you know what's going to happen, you can't break the chains of what you're supposed to do. So technically, even though you have this illusion of, of freedom, just like time being a construct, it's all in our imagination. <laughs> 
You no, just but, lost but, all the listeners we had. No. <laughs> no, 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 my general point is what is the point of freedom if we're not actually going to exercise exercise our abilities to use it, right? No, absolutely. So, I, I hear what you mean. Yeah. So, no, that but we don't realize that these uh, these choices we make that are like big life choices end up, you know, it's like I, it's, it's like it's a cliche at this time. It's that line from Fight Club: the things you own end up owning you. That stuff and and you know, uh, just slide, man. Possessions slide. Oh yeah, just slide. <laughs> but p- p- possessions and and to to a sense even. You know, I guess I guess maybe it goes hand in hand with the idea of true individualism, uh, which can also veer into like being selfish, right? Like, am I so focused on my individual happiness or all those things that am I like not dedicating myself to my family or not being available for a relationship or things like this? Um, but it's something that I be, it became to define a big piece of my identity, which was like. So where do you think the line between selfishness and egocentrism is? Because it sounds like, because there's a difference between doing, being absorbed with what you're doing and being so passionate about it and having your own little bubble and keeping your head down and not going out to dinner when your friends are going out so you can stay home and write the riffs and then also being a dick. Well, I mean, I think egocentrism is is more at the heart of like the persona we u- utilize to kind of engage with the world. I think the ego is something that, a, it's we all have an ego. I'm, I'm like, I don't know all the iteration, the ego and the id and all that stuff, but it's basically our um, representative ego. that goes out and because we're insecure and we have fear, that person, the ego has to go out and kind of be the security guard to like be the face of the operation and like pretend like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah, man, everything's great. And, uh, you know, and I, I, that was me like in my 20s for a big portion it was like you know where that individual who acts in very self selfish ways and does things that maybe hurts other people or doesn't really think about the consequences of, of things gets you a lot of trouble but i think it's used the ego is very useful as a musician or a performer of any kind because when you're really real with yourself right you you know you're like i'm not a rock god i'm not any better you're just i'm just a person <laughs> absolutely who does, yeah. who does things but you kind of to get up on stage and project that you kind of need to like hey ego go out there and kick ass for Piss me excellence be, for you Piss yeah, excellence exactly. For Doc. <laughs> exactly so it's it, when you have a healthy relationship with your ego, ego you can kind of utilize it when it's there but then sometimes like i said if you if, this is why touring makes you crazy especially if you're in any kind of big band where you start believing your own bullshit that you're and, and a space person. Like, what's that? <laughs> well, she's in Star Set. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard that band. Yeah, yeah. But like, we're on the road together. You, yeah, we've But do you together. believe? Do you believe in it? Like, do you believe you're from space, Siobhan? Are we breaking no, some sort of well, trademark? Like, no, gag no. Order? I mean, no, no one's pretending to to you know be actually in that universe. But I, I completely relate to what you're saying because it is. I mean, as at least for me, you know, I'm a very self-critical person at heart, you know, so it's it's hard for me to go out and project that it's like, yeah, I'm the best violinist in the world because like my brain is like thinking of all these other people that are just as good, if not better, that might not have the same opportunities as me. So you really do have to find a way to manage that that persona that you put on stage versus still staying humble enough with yourself, you know, to continue improving and, you know, not getting mixed up in that confusion. Yeah, I mean, 
it's something I think about all the time because as I've gotten older, I feel like I keep getting more confident, but I'm also, but that little thing, like I said, me singing this cover song the other day, like where I'm singing, there's that leading up to it. It's like, can you do this? Are you good enough? Should you be, should you be, and you just have to, and, yeah. and the, the more you train yourself, that voice gets a little quieter, but it shouldn't yeah. go away. It's important that that's there, right? There's, there should be reasonable doubt, right? It's like, you, you, you get into that, uh, like, what was that, that, that movie, the, um, the other guys where like Sam Jackson and, and the rock, like jump off oh, yeah. the, the, the thing. Cause they're like, so <laughs> calm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's irrational yeah. confidence Aim for the that, bushes. That's not <laughs> yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, so we need, we need that kind of like, all right, I need enough ego and enough kind of cockiness to be badass in a moment or be like, do something that you didn't think you could do, but then you also need enough self-critical elements there to make you better. Cause that's all we can get better is to go like, Oh, well I need to work on this, this, and this, but I'm also sick and I deserve yeah. to be here. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like that constant, like, okay, I'm, I'm great. I can hold it down. I believe in myself, but also don't get too cocky and make sure you're, and this is why it's important. You know, I'm not big enough to be one of these people, but you know, anyone we, we probably know that has like yes men around or people that just, Oh man, you great. And no matter yeah. everything they do, you know, like the movie pop star or something yeah. uh, that is really toxic, you know, when, when, or in people, and that's a reflection of their own insecurity of like, well, if someone comes around who tells them, what they don't want to hear, then they'll get rid of them. And they'll only, you know, those people usually at some point, because yeah, we all need someone to tell us what's real. That's why I tell people like, yo, your real friends are the ones that tell you what, tell you about yourself in it, in a negative way. It's like, yo dude, you're fucking up. Right. So your, your I, was, I was just going to say, it's kind of almost an East coast thing. Cause I, I, I don't know about Jersey specifically, but I know in Massachusetts, Boston specifically, like your closest friends will make you feel like shit. At any you know any opportunity possible to before you have your head gets too big, you know they will remind you of who and what you are uh, in a very uh, hilarious way with lots of f bombs. But it it does kind of ingrain this this self awareness um, that I think can be very beneficial if you do get into that world where there's a lot of bullshit around you. Well, I always I mean yeah, I I've also been... oh I was, I was gonna say Doc sorry I, I, one of the things I I really appreciate about that concept is you know. I always liked when I studied history in school, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt used to like to surround himself like a symposium of people that didn't agree with him. Like he was famous for inviting people that literally were like, oh, you don't agree with me? Like, and yeah, having the them cabinet come and of arrivals. What is it called? Something right. And, 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 and that's kind of for me, like that discourse is sometimes where you learn the best stuff. Because, and, and again, when you surround yourself with yes, people, like I like. There's a difference between sending a song to someone and someone saying, dude, I really dig the chorus, but you know, the drums could be a little bit beefier and just being like, this fucking sucks or this is so awesome. It's good to have constructive criticism, but also knowing the bounds. Like in Boston, again, I agree with Corey, like you, you're not good unless one of your friends comes up after the show and says, man, that fucking sucked. But the band before you sucked even more. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my my father is a piano player, piano teacher, like professionally. The first show, God forbid, ever played. He, after the show, he goes. This is the first thing he says is, "You were out of tune." <laughs> oh my god! That's it. And it's like, but no, but that always stuck. Like we were. But then always, I bet the next show you weren't out of tune. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> we. But that element of, but 
Actually, let me kind of rephrase this way. We all know those local bands where all their parents go to the show and be like, that's not me. He's so great. And they were terrible. And those bands would never improve because all their friends and all their family would just tell them that they were great no matter what. Instead of us being like, oh, yeah, we suck and we need to work on it because you you think you sucked. But until someone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, but that's one of the reasons why I think Siobhan's as good as she is, is because if you meet her mom, she's a ferocious personality in the best of ways. Tiger but mom, like, yeah, she's a tiger mom. <laughs> she wasn't she, quite, she wasn't quite a tiger mom. She just had really high expectations. But a lot of that like, was you're like a by- trained horse that you like take around and like you know, like you're 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 leader horse, but at the same time mom is really the leader horse well a lot of that was music school but music school what i do appreciate about it is that it did put you in that symposium of like you had to play for a teacher who got to give you critical analysis every week and then you had to play in front of your friends and then you had to play concerts and it was like a constant symposium of people telling you how to improve now you can end up with toxic teachers which in fact i did have a pretty toxic teacher oh, yeah. was just like if is it's not jail? perfect it's terrible he he is yeah but that's for other reasons besides <laughs> his violin playing <laughs> Um, but uh, he didn't but, yeah, flat I mean, you, the fourth that one time, and it just fucked it all up. No, well, no, he flatted a too few too many young girls. But we'll <laughs> we'll save that for a different episode. Is that how they say it in uh, England? But you totally derailed it. I was going to say something that was actually nice, and now I forgot. Anyway, that's what he does. The point yeah. is, it's it's yeah, it's it's good to have constructive criticism from people. I completely agree. That's how you improve. Well, yeah, if you get challenged, it forces you to, to defend what you're doing and. Then if you defend it to yourself and you realize that what you're doing is wrong or not the best way of doing it, then you change it. If, but like you said, or you confabulate, like we said the last time where your brain makes up a reason why that your lie is the real thing. And then you start believing it yourself with all the false information that the, your brain has created to make this. I'm going to take away your thing. word a day calendar. Well, she, she won't <laughs> pack me on the symposium once. So I really got to appreciate you reiterating that word multiple times. So thank you, Siobhan. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, so to get back on track, let's. What'd you say, Ben? <laughs> you're oh, reeling it back in. in. Oh, you're reeling it in. Um, <laughs> but anyway, to jump back to you know you arriving in LA, Doc. So you know you mentioned what life was like, kind of in in New Jersey and New York, and kind of getting that sort of change in perspective when you arrived in LA and started sort of integrating in that culture. Did you notice a big difference in the type of people you were working with, or the culture, or like what sort of happened from that point? Well, I mean, I, I really love to talk about the cliches, right? There's a there's a cliche that people people love to tell you how much they hate people from LA. They love to tell you, oh, they're fake, they're fake people. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah, there's a lot of douchebags. There's a lot of, uh, especially like the rock scene. There's a lot of just cheesy people, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of washed up. You know, that's you know, here's the thing. I at any point, I guess I could have been the washed up guy, but. Uh, you know, guys you trying to can. Yeah. Plenty of time to get <laughs> washed up. Late. <laughs> uh, you know, plenty of people trying to relive the poison, you know, kind of days and, 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 and all that. But I found a lot of people in this, there's something really special about a place where everyone's there kind of for the same reason, whether that's AA. an actor or a comedian or, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I felt like, like the, just the environment of that, you, every, you it always felt like you were three steps away from the top levers of power or influence or yeah. opportunity. So mm-hmm. if you, if you just put yourself in the right spots and made cool shit and actually utilize the system, you could make things happen. Now, all the time I would see people go from nothingness to somethingness in pretty short amounts of time. 
just by kind of putting their heads down. And it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, uh, a buzzsaw, you know, if you don't kind of, you know, if you come here to do blank and then you just end up getting stuck doing something else, that's not what you wanted to do. And then you kind of get bummed out about it. And then you're just kind of like working really hard to just like pay for an expensive apartment or something. Um, but then, it, then a lot of people get worn out. Like I had a lot of friends who moved out of LA during the pandemic because it was just too expensive or maybe in their hometown, they had better prospects or, you know, cheaper, cheaper living. But I, I don't know, even now, like, you know, even my girlfriend, I consider leaving. I was like, you know what? I, don't, I just don't feel like it's time to go because I feel like when this when things are open and it's like, I mean, it's still LA, all the shit is still here. All the, the companies and all the agencies and all like, and but it's I burning. Like, I like, do you ever uh, look outside and it's just burning? You're like, maybe, maybe I should go. It's all on well, fire. We're in, we're in long beach now. So long beach is not on fire. That's the, I was in the Valley when the day, like, like a couple weeks after the riots and stuff. And you went outside and looked, it was orange outside. And you're like, oh my God, geez. and it just smelled like a barbecue. And like, yeah, this is a, Oh my God. A bit dystopian, yeah. but Hey, you know what? If you want to be soft and just leave leave the apocalypse, you know, okay, you know, if you, you know, you're friends with the apocalypse. You know? He's in you the know? band Godsmack. That's what I'm saying. His, his name's Shannon Larkin. He actually has it on his on his on his on his uh, hand because apparently Joey Jordison said, even though despite the fact that his heroic level of indulgence would say, "Look, the apocalypse is coming." So whenever I hear the apocalypse now, it's not apocalypse now like Francis Ford Coppola. It's literally Shannon Larkin now. <laughs> Your brain well, is like a ping pong table, dude. I can just see the ball bouncing around. Unfortunately. <laughs> Everyone thinks the apocalypse is going to happen when they're alive, which just shows how, speaking of being egocentric, everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, oh so you won't be lucky enough to be there when it all ha- ends, right? <laughs> yeah, <But> right. <laughs> just, just so ha- people have been around for 200,000 years. It's going to happen within your little 70-year time frame. Well, good on you. Must be, we're, we're, we're idiots. Like, <laughs> like what? Who say all the people are gonna die? Maybe just you gonna die. How about that? You like, man, I'm saving the world. No, not, the world's gonna be fine. The world's gonna be fine. Will you, will you be dead? The Dude, Elon Musk is totally driving around in space, just going fuck this shit. He's driving around in space. Yeah, I, I think actually yeah, the first thing he sent to space was like a car. Was yeah, what he said. I heard about That's that. why I was saying. But he's he's nuts because the other thing is space is not regulated, so you can't go. There's there's it's anarchy out there. Apparently, yeah, it is. You can do whatever you want. No. Space is the place. All right. <laughs> well, Ben, you derailed it again, so you can figure out where we left off. <laughs> well, I'd actually like there. to ask Doc. Um, you do so many things where you write. You have your own show. You're in a a very uh, successful band. Um, you you know you're outspoken. Like, do you ever feel like that doing all these things? Um, I don't want to say convolutes like your brand because there's so much to look at, or do you think it all enhances it synergistically? I mean, probably both, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm pretty sure if I was like, you'll see some people on Instagram, for example, they're a guitar player and every video is them playing guitar. Right. And they might do really well in that, in that space. Thanks for following me. There you go. (laughs) Um, And you can say that from a a bunch of different people in, in different areas where, yeah, if you really hone in on one thing, I think it's easier to tap into a very particular audience and be like that person. And I think there is a lot of benefits to that. So to some degree, yeah, I think it does uh, dilute it a little bit, but I can't really help it. I'm just, I get bored. Like when I'm, t- when I tour too much in a row, I feel like my 
brain turns into mashed potatoes because I'm just doing one thing. And mm-hmm. I'm most fulfilled when I'm, I'm doing, I'm working on this one day and working on that other day and, and cultivating multiple skill sets and cultivating different types of uh, just engagement. And, um, and yeah, so even if it, uh, I think hopefully overall it will eventually work out in my favor being kind of a jack of all trades because the people I look up to are like that, you know, it's people like Jamie Foxx, you know, or he's pretty tall people, you know, people like Will Smith, people that can go and do multiple things. And also I, I also love this idea of, of people putting you in a box and say, Oh, you're that thing. And then you, Oh, I'm that thing. Okay. And then you go and like do something that they didn't expect and people, Oh, so you do that too. And kind of, realizing that you have to have the vision that you can do other things that no one else is going to do that for you. You know, it's like, you have to go out and say, no, I can, I can be this other person or I can do other things. And that's a real, like, especially now, cause I just turned 40 and I'm like, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I don't know. I like this idea of like doing new things at times when people say you're not supposed to do those things and kind of breaking down these, stupid uh boundaries yeah well absolutely and in the current climate too you just have to be such a an entrepreneur in so many ways if you're going to be on your own or do something creative so i mean you really do need a lot of other skills besides just being able to shred guitar or violin or whatever instrument it is i mean it certainly can help anything as your complete brand to be diversified in everything that you do you know you have to have yeah, at least three I'm, fake jobs <laughs> but it's also just your interests, right like i'm Right. Interested in weird action movies and I'm interested in NBA basketball and I'm interested in politics and I'm interested in philosophy and the in these things. And I'm obviously I come from a world of heavy metal and, and that side of things. So it's it's like, what are you gonna do? Just not pretend like you're not into those things, just so you well, I can I'm in a metal band, so I can only talk about heavy metal on Twitter, right? Like that's no, just be honest. Just I I've kind of just become to like embrace my nerddom and I'm nerdy about it. Anything I get into, I get into it a lot and I yeah. overanalyze it. And mm-hmm. I love, you know, I'll sit there and argue with someone about star Wars for 20 minutes. On so, Twitter so, just... so in a world of pacifism, you say be Phil from all that remains. <laughs> no, well, <pleasure>. Actually, who's, <laughs> I've heard your way, banter back and forth, man. You guys are fucking out of control, by the way, who, by the way, who is Pat, who is advocating for, for pacifism? Where are these people? I want to find them. Yeah, I'm just making up fictitious the, scenarios. Yeah, that head. is fictitious because no, everyone is is uh, going all out in, in that regard. Right, um, and the opposite, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, yes, I will challenge Phil um, in certain ways. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about it. Because, you know, a lot of that is, I feel like he's a he is more hyperbolic than I am. And a little bit more like, he'll say a thing where I'm like, do you even mean that? Are you just saying that? Because <laughs> you know it's like, the hard line everyone in the world and, which is a very hard line thing um and i you know and like i said because i'm his friend i'm challenging him right mm-hmm. i'm like yo phil just, just come on bring, it, <laughs> bring that in a little bit Let's just, i'm trying to help you help me help you okay <laughs> <laughs> you know and but but the thing is he's a smart guy he's an informed guy and and I like having discussions with people that think differently than me because maybe I'll learn something 
about the world or see a different perspective that wasn't obvious to me. And that's the, uh, and that's like a good faith approach to debate that I, I think is pretty rare. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like break my arm, pat myself on the back, but I try and set an example. That's another you know thing about the engagement, especially on, on Twitter is like, it's so easy to give into like our lowest um, instincts, you know? And so I always say like, you know, to just be someone who comes off like a leader, someone's like, is like setting an example, like, okay, well, I'm going to be polite and I'm going to be, uh, try and be somewhat, uh, honorable in these, in these spaces, uh, and set an example and not call people names or go out, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or just like, cause I, I just think it's, uh, the incentives in those environments is basically to say the craziest shit because that's what gets, the most clicks, the most retweets, the most whatever. And then once you become that person and you become essentially a provocateur, that, 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 that is a job in and of itself. Right. Well, I was going to say there's yeah. your, the Phil doc debates, as I call them, um, are epic. Like that's why it's three hours and 18 minutes. That was my introduction to watching your show. I was like, okay, mm. Phil and doc. And then I look at like the time it's 198 minutes or something. I'm like these motherfuckers. But then I watched all of it <laughs> or listen, whatever the fuck it well, I was. I was really high. I'll tell yeah. you that. But I, man, if you ever want to understand what the word dichotomy means, listen to YouTube because it, it, it is really polite. I don't know what it is, but there has to be a show you guys can do together and work in Dr. Phil somehow. Like Dr. <laughs> Phil. Oh, nice. There's something in there. And I'll, I'll, I'll give that. It's, that's yours. You can take it and run with I it. Like it. <laughs> I like um, it. I like it. We're we're coming up. We got we got a few minutes left in the in this uh, first hour with Doc. Um, Is it all over yet? Is it just over? No, I I, I have you tell of, him to subscribe yet, Corey. I didn't. Did you? Two zero two zero dash d dot com. Soundtalentmedia.com. And and by the way, subscribe to the X Man, which we're yeah, on. We're on with show. Doc. I mean, look, he should really tell you on his show to subscribe to us because we're like the little guy. But if you do, like, mom, subscribe to Doc's show. It's really good. I was, yeah. yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, that I think that uh, the next episode, our next hour, part two, we should just have Doc explain to us how to actually run a podcast. And then, you know, we might be able to take wow. that advice and, and improve ourselves. And I think our listeners will definitely appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, We've done this exercise a bunch of times with John Garabedian, the uh, famous DJ from the open house party who was in 170 markets. We've done it with Paul Geary, um, you know, manager extraordinaire to the Hollywood vampires and, 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 you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And every time they give us advice, doc, we internalize it. We listen, we understand we empathize and then do none of it. Yes. I just completely throw it at the Well, window. you're fundamentally unteachable. <laughs> I think Corey and I might be okay. <laughs> he's not coachable. No. There's any any number of things he is not able to. He's set in yes. his ways. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, check out the uh, the X-Man podcast. Check out Bad Wolves and the Patreon. And uh, what's what's what can people expect with that? Well, right now we're in this odd holding pattern. I don't know if you we you know we don't we don't have a vocalist right now, so we're, we've been like a. So he's a lot the X Man now. He's taking your branding. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get into yeah. that in the next episode. Did, I did want to dive into that. Sorry, I didn't want to bring up anything. But uh, if we, people should still probably support you guys, right? Yes, please yes. go over to the Bad Wolves Patreon. Mainly right now, it's a lot of like li doing like live streams and kind of connecting people that way. But we're in the midst of a lot of work behind the scenes. So, and with that developing yeah. content for the Patreon page, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, we, 
Again, we're working on stuff. Yeah, stay tuned Check for updates on the Patreon page. Please do. Please do. <laughs> but uh, so we're definitely going to dive a bit deeper with Doc in the next episode. But uh, right now, please check out 2020-d.com. Subscribe. Go to YouTube. Do all the bell things that people are supposed to do and all that fun stuff. Click the buttons. Click all the buttons. <laughs> and uh, Except the dislike button. Just ex- the like Except button. the dislike if you, button. If you click the dislike button, make sure you do it twice. It just says this in the side. I went and watched some one of Doc's videos, and he has more dislikes on the videos than most of my videos have ever gotten completely in watches. And that's not because people dislike it. That's just because you have a crazy amount of views, which is depressing. When I go and look, that you literally have more thumbs down on a view uh, on a video than I have total views of my entire life because you're banned for a has, Bad Wolves video. Or yeah, you guys had 373 million views, 120,000 down, like like a million gajillion ups. But I'm like, well, if you have does that haters, bother you, you that at that right. point there's 120,000 haters? Does that just mean you're doing something right? No, I mean, honestly, stuff like that. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just like a guy in the background. So you know, I'm. Like I, I check have your name no, on it. No credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I like that. Anyways, yeah. as we were trying to do, this is the end of the show. Check out 2020.com. Docs. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. As always, thank you for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 35 featuring Paul Geary, formerly of Extreme. Check it out. You know, because even as a local band, we took ourselves very seriously. So, like, you know, in the arenas back then, they used to have these platforms and stuff on stage, these metal, like, we would build them out of wood. Um, and put them in trucks and show up at the clubs and actually have like platforms and risers that we just did it ourselves because to us, we were just like, we were an arena band playing clubs and we wanted to present ourselves that way. So that's what we did. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.